Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. James, guess what? Uh, I don't know. What? The trade deadline has passed. Oh, uh, man. I didn't even notice. Like, did, did the Leafs do anything? No. No. Nothing. Nothing. No. Just Quiet. Just one one blockbuster deal with Calgary? The, the Dryden <laughs> Hunt extravaganza? <laughs> yeah, I don't know that we're going to dig too deep into that one unless you want to do a deep dive. On the Can, prospect they got back, he's not really a pro. Isn't he like thirty years old? I don't think he's. A, <laughs> yes. I don't think he's a prospect. <laughs> Minor leaguer. Okay, Redeem, let's talk about Redeem. Can you pronounce his last name? Zahorna. Um, yeah, that was pretty good, actually. I did it. So you, yeah. So very good job. So we have a lot of questions to get to. We want to dig into some of the trades that Half we did not about talk about. Red, Redeem yeah. Zahorna, I got to tell you. So you better you better bone up on on. Uh, his play. I thought it was funny that Duba said we got him because we wanted another center. It's like, how many centers do you need? They're scarred. They they, they, they saw what happens when you have centers and now they just want everyone to come play center. Well, and the other thing Duba said in that same answer was like, yo, you can never have enough centers and defensemen and goalies. He's like, so the only thing you have a lot of is wingers. But anyway, I digress. Okay, so we have not talked since the trades for Luke Shen. I talk, to you every, I talk to you every day. Well, you and I have talked about it, but we've not <laughs> talked about it on the podcast. Our last podcast we recorded after the Leafs. Monday night. Was it after? Yeah, it was after the Leafs traded for Jake McCabe and Sam Lafferty. 
Well, we were like, oh, this will be perfect. It'll be a quiet day tomorrow, and then uh, we'll do the show. It'll it'll hold up until the end of the week, and they'll make their other moves on the deadline day, and we're golden. And then... Uh, and then boom! And then there was a trade-gasm on Tuesday. I was in the air. So my, I, was, I was on my flight, and I was, we were about to take off, and the last tweet that I, that I got a notification for before I took off was your tweet, and it said... They're pulling Rasmus Sandin off the ice or whatever, whatever, however you worded it. Yeah. So then, then I was up in the air and I didn't know what had happened to Rasmus Sandin. I assumed he had been traded, but I had to sit with that thought for 45 minutes while my, my, on, on my flight. And then when I landed, it was like Sandin's been traded and, and the Leafs got Luke Shen and Pierre Engvall's been traded. And they all happened like all in really quick succession. Well, I was at practice and it was one of the more unusual experiences that I've had covering this team. Like, so Sandine gets pulled off the ice and like that, that almost never happens. Like usually if you're going to trade a guy, he gets traded, he doesn't practice, whatever. I don't think I've seen that covering the, have you seen it covering the Leafs? I'm not sure I if I have. I feel like I have seen it. Like I feel like I have, I just can't remember. Was it Matt Lombardi maybe? I feel like it could it, have been someone in that department, like someone like that. Yeah. Um, but so then what happens is obviously practice finishes and players are just coming off the ice and they're they're asking us like what what, what happened with the trades <laughs> and they're just all like kind of buzzing around and all you see in the background near their dressing room is just Kyle Dubas on the phone like the entire time yeah. and then it's like oh they, they just traded Rasmus Sandin obviously we find that out and it's like I, uh, they're going to trade uh, was the Engball trade first I'm trying to remember. I don't know. It, was, it felt like they were Whatever. all. I mean, I was like getting so off then, my flight and going through customs and stuff. Well, so. so so then the Engvall trade happens, and the, the Shen trade happens, and you're kind of just thinking like, how many more things are they going to do? Like, we were expecting that maybe they could add one more defenseman, but then they end up adding two. So obviously, you've got six new players. But I think we should start. Where do you want to start? Let me leave it up to you because I, well, I, we obviously want to get into the Shen trade. We want to get into the, the Sandine trade. We can talk a bit about Engvall. Your guys yeah, I, I think I think we should go <laughs> Zorna. I think I think we should go down the uh, like we we if people can listen to the other shows to hear about like what we thought about the O'Reilly trade and what we thought about the McCabe trade. Like like go back and you know listen to news. our. Listen to our amazing archive. I think we should just go through. I mean, I honestly, I think the most interesting one is Sandine. I think that, okay, that that's let's start there. I agree. Engvall is is cap like dumping the cap. We did talk about that last show because that's who we thought they would get rid of. Shen, we've been talking about. I mean, he was in our story last weekend where we said they were targeting Shen, and you know, despite the skepticism and the complaints that we got about writing that story, like that's what happened. They were looking at McCabe and Shen. The one that surprised Engvall, so Engvall going didn't surprise me. Shin coming didn't surprise me. Been, both of those things make sense, and, and we knew that was going to happen, or we thought something like that was going to happen. Sandine, I didn't see. And, you, you know, you and I had talked about it, and I had gone and... Um, you disagreed with me. Well, you, you, know, you know why? Because I, I talked to a bunch of people around the league about him, because I, you know... It made sense if they were looking to add all these defensemen. Certainly, if we knew for sure they were adding two or more defensemen, he was going to be going. I thought they were going to add one. Like, I thought they were going to add McCabe, and then Sandine was going to be the odd man out. So, I started talking to other teams, started talking to agents, people around the league. Like, what do you think? Do you think the Leafs could trade Sandine? And I got a really... The response I got back was the same across the board, was that they thought that that was more like a summer trade because they weren't going to be able to get back what they wanted for Sandine. You know, one person I talked to said, 
you know, Kyle drafted Sandine in 2018, five years ago, with a with a first round pick. His so, first first round pick. Yeah, and they said, you know what? It'd be a bad look for him to trade Sandine for whatever a late second or a third round pick or something. Now, like it just wouldn't look good. And and this person didn't think they would get a first round pick, but you know, the trade they made not only did they get a first round pick, um. They also got Eric Gustafson. Do you remember, Jonas, like, it wasn't on the show, but you and I had discussed Sandine to Washington. Would Washington want Sandine? I think we were talking about that just because uh, we were Orlov. talking about Orlov. Yeah, yeah well, we, we was, thought that yeah. they should try and get Orlov. And we're like, well, if Washington would want... And then I think I said, I don't think Washington would want Sandine. And, like, we had, this whole, com- we had this whole conversation. And it just goes to show, like, you know, I had talked to, like, four or five people about Sandine. And I think I just... I don't know. I bought too heavily into what people were telling me and they didn't really 100% know what was happening. And um, I wonder if, do you think, Jonas, that if they would have only gotten one of McCabe or Shen, if they would have kept Sandine as, as kind of like an extra guy? I guess if you're only getting, I, I mean, just getting Shen, I don't know what that would have. Well, I don't know. That's. Like, I thought that's they were only getting one question. of them. I thought, like, I thought it was one or the other. I thought they were looking for you know, some physicality and, and whatever. Um, but then when you think about it, it's like, you know, Shen's going to be more of a depth guy and McCabe's going to be in the top four and, and on a shutdown pair. So they are yeah. filling slightly different roles. I just, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't, I don't think anyone realized the Leafs were going to bring in six players. Like, I think that's like, if you look at the pieces we were writing in the lead up, we thought maybe two or three, cause that's normally what happens, but kind of the whole league went a bit crazy. Like, look how many trades have happened. You know, normally on the athletic site, we do we do trade grades at the deadline. I think last year we did 11 or something. And this year it's been like, I don't know what we did, like 25 or something ridiculous. Like there's been so many high impact trades this year. Yeah. And a lot of them obviously take place well before the deadline, which made the deadline day very uninteresting. Like what was the best trade? I was trying to think like it the was most Kl- interesting Klingberg. trade. Klingberg was like the biggest trade today. The and biggest. he's like, I mean, he hasn't been, he hasn't been good. Now. And he got traded for a fourth round pick. So like, yeah, yeah. he's but like, so a fl- James, he's a flyer yeah. by Minnesota, like that, you know, they can play him on the power play maybe. But so let's dig into the, the Sandine thing a little bit more, just because I, I think there is some, I think it's understandable for anyone to look at that and be like, they're trading like Sandini's he's like 22 and like he was a first round pick, like you mentioned, uh, obviously he's talented. A lot of the underlying numbers are, are really positive with him. But, like, you look ahead to their future, obviously, beyond the season. You look at their their future this season. He wasn't going to be in their playoff lineup unless there were a lot of injuries. And then you look ahead to, like, next year. They just traded for Jake McCabe, who signed. Uh, Morgan Riley's in your top four. It's not clear, like we discussed last week, that, that it's not clear. I don't think there's any evidence to this point that he can play in the top four of a contender. They're trying to contend. The Leafs certainly don't think so. So it, 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 I don't know. It's not surprising to me just because it's something I've thought about for a long time, but I can understand why there would be some well, surprise fans, to it. But when you think about it, it's upset. not really that surprising. So why are they upset? Well, because they like Sandine. They think he's a good player. And he's a good he, player. And you're a contender and he doesn't make a lot of money. And why would you need a, a late first round pick? That that the, that's that's the basic explanation. It boils down to fit and playoffs. Like it's it's just really hard 
when you have like even if you think he's going to be a top four defenseman one day, you have Riley signed forever, right? There's well, and, there's yeah. there's not really a way to construct a top four that can work when you have Riley and Sandine on two separate pairs. Like they, mm. it just and Lilgren really too, right? Did, like you know, like smaller skilled types. Yeah, and so like I, I just thought like I wrote last month or what month is this? This is March. So yeah, in February. Like, if you can't play him in the playoffs now, like, what are you doing? Like, what – there's there's not – you may as well, if you can get a first-round pick back, I, I just think that's obvious for them. That it makes a lot of sense. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Those things are true, but I think also a big – like, it wouldn't surprise me, and I don't have any inside knowledge on this, it wouldn't surprise me if Sandine requested a trade. Like, I don't think that that's something that the agent would put out there, but, like – I, I don't think he was happy in Toronto. Like, I don't think he wanted to stay. I think, he, well... He wanted to stay if know. he was going to play a lot. He was not going to be... Like, if they put him as the seventh D for, like, you know, 15 of the last 20 games, he wasn't going to be in a good frame of mind to potentially play if there was an injury. Well, and what we do know, James, is, like, there has been a history there of things not always being smooth. I mean, last summer, like, the contract didn't get done until, like, a week into camp. Uh, there were situations in the past where he wasn't thrilled with, you know, lack of playing time and, and things along the, those lines. There was a disconnect there where he felt like he deserved more opportunity and the Leafs didn't. And now he's going to get it somewhere else. I mean, it, it happens. What do you make of uh, Kyle Dubas mentioned that they could have taken back a second draft pick in that trade, but instead decided they'd rather have Gustafson for more depth in the playoffs. Yeah, well, the explanation that I heard, he said it was about having someone that can play in the power play, right? Like, I, I guess if they're thinking if if Riley's hurt or something, if they don't, like, then all of a sudden they're they are kind of scrambling for who's to who to play in the power play, do you think? I mean, they have Giordano, Lilligren has played a bunch on their second power play. But yeah, like, I mean, in terms of, like, someone who you could plug into your lineup in a playoff game, and I don't know. Like, I don't know that that, it doesn't, totally pass the smell test that you're like you're just trading for this guy just in case you need him on your power play to play 10 minutes like i don't know i i I do think it makes some sense to have another guy who's experienced can play both sides he's not like small he's not big but he's not small i don't know like you just trust him this is a point you made uh to me and in our story is you just Push Connor Timmons down the depth chart another round. Well, so like Connor if you ever got to a situation, right? He ain't, he ain't playing in the playoffs, right? So right. that that's part exactly. of why I I thought they would keep Sandine is because they didn't want Timmons to play in the playoffs. You're likely going to have an injury or two in the playoffs, especially if you go if you play you know for a month or more, which the Leafs hope to. So you need at least seven guys you really trust. Uh, and now they have nine D. Yeah. It's very unusual to see a 23-man roster in the NHL that has nine defensemen in it because if you have nine defensemen, you're at the minimum forwards and the minimum goalies <laughs> and you're using all three of your extra slots for defensemen, which is, I don't I, I don't know if I've seen it before. I do not know if I've seen it before. I, and, and Kyle Dubas said, you know, that you'd rather just have more guys. And, and there was a situation he pointed to this year where they had like Brody, Muzzin, Riley, all their, like every defenseman except like Giordano and Hall were heard at one point or another. I think, am I right? Giordano's the only one to play every game. Um, so you just want more guys. And so like Luke Shen, let's talk a little bit about 
Luke Shen coming back to Toronto. First off, it's like a, it's a cool story. I mean, I was here when he was first drafted, and it's, it's just funny, like seeing him again and seeing him around the dressing room. And it's like it makes very, me feel it makes me feel old, Jonas, to see. Like it doesn't make me feel old. It just it just uh, I don't know. It, it, it's it, it's a cool story on that front. But I well, do it's like think fifteen years later, right? Since like his first year, he was eighteen, and now he's thirty three years old. Like it's it's incredible. It's incredible, and. I mean, you, 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 the fit makes sense. Like he, you can, the physicality that he brings, the different dimension that he brings, the fact that you know he's played in the playoffs, he's won cups. Like there's, he's obviously a, a popular player in the league. I don't know. Like I, I don't really see any downside to it. And obviously, for every fan who watched him in those early days, like I'm sure there's tons of nostalgic feelings right now, right? Well, I think he's kind of filling like the Labushkin kind of role, right? Like he's yes, he's not going to play. Like I think he only played ten minutes in Calgary, right? And I know they, they had seven defensemen, but I, I like I don't think people people shouldn't expect that Shen's going to play like you know top four, you know yes. tw- twenty minutes in the playoffs. Like he's going to be a six seven guy who's who might come in and out of the lineup and and be totally fine with that. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of a, a disconnect as to like what his role has been in the playoffs. Like he was like you're mentioning, like when those back to back cups with Tampa, he was scratched a bunch. And when he did play, he was playing like nine minutes, some like one year he played, I think he averaged nine minutes, the other year he averaged eleven minutes. Um but like you said, like you can just kind of plug him in. And I I don't know, James. I, I, I think one of the, the problems that they have, maybe it's not a problem, maybe that's not the right word. Just something that they're going to have to figure out. Dilemma. Who do you play with Morgan Riley? Because if you're going to play TJ no, Brody think, with Jake McCabe, which I is think like that you're, is a you're, problem, Jonas. <laughs> it is okay. So maybe it's a problem because I don't think that there's like an obvious solution. If you want to play Brody with McCabe, which I understand, you're trying to basically replicate what you had last year with Muzzin and Brody in the playoffs. Those two are excellent. So you want to play those two together. Then the question becomes: Okay, well, who do you play with Riley? And I don't think that there's like really a great answer. Like, what would you do? What would James do? That should be hmm. a segment on the podcast. <laughs> do 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 do. Oh. We need we need some music for it or something. Um, what would James do? It's I don't. I think you have to play one of Brody or McCabe with Riley. I know why they're doing it, but I I don't think that there's. A, I think one or the other, and I don't know. I don't know how comfortable McCabe is on the right side. So, um, that's my answer. I think one of Brody or McCabe probably has to play with Riley, or, really or Jonas, or or Jonas. You got to like shelter Riley a lot more than they do. Well, so I, I kind of think that's where I am leaning today. We'll see what happens. We'll see how many different combinations um, they end up looking at. That's kind of where I would go. I would kind of. You mentioned Labushkin. That's. I mean, Labushkin, they weren't – well, I guess when the pairs all shook out, they probably were. But that's kind of what I do. I would, I might play Shen with Riley and play Shen not a ton, move Riley around, shelter him. That's kind of where I'm leaning because we know – like we have enough evidence by now that, that Hall doesn't fit with Riley. Lilligren doesn't fit with Riley. I don't – like I don't know what else – you're supposed to do i mean besides doing what you're saying putting brody or mccabe and then it's like okay well what are the reverberations on the rest of the lineup then because like suddenly it's like well is it going to be mccabe and hall playing 
top lines in the playoffs? Are you good with that? Yeah, maybe or maybe you, or maybe James, you say, you know what? More, let's go with Riley and Brody. Like that's our top pair. We're going to use them against top lines. And well, hopefully, I mean, that's you good probably enough. want. I don't know. You probably want two pairs that. Yeah, well, I mean, we yes, got, any Giordano pair last time is now. Like, when they got McCabe, we got into this last time, right? Like, I, they, I yeah, think we're, anyway. we're we're doing who's on first again with the D. I mean, it's... I don't think we've talked enough about that specific thing, that there is not a, a perfect fit for Riley. So. Well, there's not... Yeah, there's not, like, perfect pairs in general on the team, right? Like, it's, you know, if you feel good about all of these pairs being depth pairs, but which one... You don't feel you don't feel great about you know it's interesting though like the Leafs have had a good year defensively like they've you know they've haven't you know as a collective team they've been good defensively but it's interesting that we're this late in the year and there's there's not like like you feel really good about Giordano Dano and Lilligren right like the, nah, I don't feel as good about that as consensus well, their defensive yeah. numbers are are not as I like Giordano Hall better than I do that. But anyway, do you think, like we're, do you think we're Logan's going to be the odd odd man out here? I think it's conceivable. I don't think you should be shocked if that's the case. Like I wrote in my story from Edmonton, which was not a good game for the Leafs, obviously, that I, I kind of think like when the chips are down, that would be the lineup that I would dress. Riley Shen, McKay Brody, Giordano Hall. Like those are the six that I – I would trust the most. And obviously little or Shen, you're not going to be able to, you're not playing that much, but I just trust all six guys. Yeah. That seems to be the way that Keith is leaning. Yeah. Yeah. And again, we'll I mean, there's, there's going to be a lot of criticism from the fan base. If that's the way it plays out with the season that Logren has had. It's going to be a competition between him and Hall down the stretch, I think. And, and mm-hmm. to a lesser degree, Shen, like, like, I think, you know what Shen is and they know what Shen is. But I think w- whichever of those guys plays better down the stretch will play at the start of the playoffs. And like we saw that last year, Lilligren won the starting spot in the playoff lineup, played two games, didn't play particularly well, and Justin Hall went in and played the rest of the way. So we'll see. Why don't we uh, put a pin in? Break? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay. Let's take a break. We still have to get some, some to some questions. Uh, I do want to talk a teensy bit a little bit about uh, Engball getting traded, just to kind of close the chapter there. Uh, So let's take a break and dig into that. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. 
how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. All right, James, the biggest trade of the day. Dryden Hunt is no longer a leaf. Redim Zahorna, now a Marley. Uh, so, what did I have written down here? Engvall. We're not really surprised. Like, we talked about that on the last podcast, that if you're choosing between Engvall and Kerfoot, you choose Kerfoot. Um, but it, it's just such a funny tenure he had in Toronto. Like, he always just kind of left you wanting more. And I think that's how I'll remember Pierre Engvall. The Engvall is closed, Jonas. I'll never well, it's get- open in New Jersey. I'll never. He, went to, the, he went to the Islanders. Islanders. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm thinking about Lou because Lou's going to sign him to some crazy contract. Yeah, he probably will stay there. I saw someone yeah. uh, tweeted something like, "If imagine the Islanders make the playoffs and they play the Bruins in the first round, and Engvall's like one of the deciding factors in knocking off the Bruins." <laughs> I think the chances of that are probably pretty low. Pretty low. Um. I always liked Engvall. I, you know, I liked him. I remember that that one training camp when he played really well and, and talking to him and kind of writing about his life story. And like he seemed like a good person, um, you know, like, kind of like a gentle giant, you know. And I think that the gentleness is part of why they were ready to move on from him in the playoffs. You know, I, I think they were. You you wrote about this earlier this week that they're trying to like really play off of their lineup and and really toughen it up and. You know, all six of the guys, I believe, I mean, I guess not Gustafson, but I was going to say uh, five of the six guys that they brought in are are physical and, you know, kind of in-your-face players, and that's what they're trying to do with the lineup. Yeah, the word that, that I'm, like, keep coming back to is competitive. And, like, you just wanted I, – I don't know why, James. I, I think I mentioned flashbacks to, like, Randy Carlisle saying compete all the time, though, when you say well, competitive. Compete level? It's, no, so – Like, all the time. Like, every time they lost, it was like, we didn't compete every single time the coaching was great but he just didn't compete um no like i i always i don't know why that line stuck in my mind but during one of the lightnings run to the cup maybe it's the first one like sandine's competitive very competitive he's just not particularly strong like he's just not that big yeah um but but john cooper talked about like his third liners and he just said like they basically like he said something on the lines of they have like a lot of grease under their fingernails and like they're just kind of like <laughs> grimy kind of players and that always stuck with me because that always felt like what the Leafs were lacking in like they they were lacking in like Blake Colmany type players guys who were just like kind of pains in the ass and like it always felt like they were a little bit lacking in that yeah yeah like a little bit more white collar or something or I don't I don't know yeah, what's like the they, yeah. Yeah, like they were almost like a little bit – they weren't enough blue collar. And now you look at the bottom of their lineup and it's like – I think of like Boston. I think of Pittsburgh as teams that always kind of build their teams in this blue collar kind of fashion. And you look like Lafferty is a, is a former Penguin. Chari is a former Bruin. Aston Reese started his career at Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's a good so, like, point. They just, you know, like they've just added a bit more identity that way that they've lacked at times. And like – it's it's funny, like you think of what's happened to this team in the playoffs, and basically Kyle Dubas has has said this, like they wanted they didn't want that to happen again, where they they didn't have that extra push. Well, uh, Engvall in has four points, no goals in seventeen playoff games. I mean, he's you know he's yeah. a, he's he's a good player in a lot of respects, like, and he came a long way while he was with the Leafs. But I can see, you know, you've lost a bunch of series, you know. Do you really want to go back into battle with a guy that that you failed with 
multiple times already. And I can see why they didn't want to. And a guy who doesn't have that always, like his engine isn't always like his motor or whatever term you want to use. Like he, he doesn't always have that to him. Mm -hmm. So now you've replaced him. Like I was looking at, I just wrote a little bit about what they've done since the beginning of the year. And it's like, they basically exchanged Abe Kubel and Engvall for Achari and Lafferty. And like, the, mm. those are stylistically, like they're just different. Like Abe Kubel was supposed to be physical. That was what he was supposed to bring. He just never fit in here, obviously. And they got rid of him quick. Um, yeah. Like they, I, I just think they've changed kind of their identity a bit. So anyway, let's get to some questions. Is there anything else we were supposed to hit? Uh, I mean, they Did didn't trade for a goalie. Yeah. Did you so think they were, and, and, Ma and Matt Murray's going to play in Vancouver. Um, uh, well, maybe we can just touch really quickly, Jonas, on, on the two games that they've played with some of the new guys. Like, I think, sure. I think that that's worth doing. Um, full disclosure, I didn't see a ton of the Calgary game just with like deadline preparation and everything that's been going on. You and I have both been traveling and, and doing some different things this week. So um, you were at the game. I'd be curious, like, Edmonton game I did see and it was a complete disaster and they were brutal. It was it, that might have been one of their worst games of the year. Maybe their worst game of the year. Like it, they, nah. they they were they were awful. They were bad. It wasn't it wasn't on Samsonov. Like they were they were He wasn't crappy. great either. As as Randy Carlisle would say, he fit in with the rest of the team. It was that Randy or yeah, Randy Carlisle, I think he was that. he was just okay. Um <laughs> So the Calgary game, though, like, what was your takeaway from from that one? Like, you know, low scoring, hard fought. Sheldon Keefe seemed really happy with the kind of, especially the second half of the game. What was your takeaway? Yeah, what's interesting in the the start of the game, like they just looked disjointed and they looked like a team that was incorporating all these new players. They were they they, they dressed why. eleven, <laughs> yeah, right. Like, and they dressed eleven and seven, which is something I absolutely hate. I don't get why teams do it. I understand in this case why they did it. They wanted to get the two new defensemen in, but it just created all this kind of, there was no continuity to anything that they were doing because every time one line went out there, it wasn't out there the next group because they had to mix things up. But the second half of the game, I thought Matthews and Marner really got mm -hmm. going and started yeah. to look like Matthews and Marner did last year, which we really have not seen at all. And Matthews like, was really aggressive shooting the puck. Marner was really aggressive shooting the puck. And then the third period, once they got the lead, they just like shut it down. And like you can see, it's funny, like Keefe was like beaming after the game. With I just think he, he felt like that was an embodiment of what the new types of players that they brought in could do in a game like that. Yeah. Where we've seen, I mean, that Buffalo game, what, when was that? I don't even remember. But where they're up 5 nothing, and then it just kind of melts away. And obviously, like, they had O'Reilly and Achari by that point. But you could just kind of feel, like, what happens when you have those types of players on your team. And, like, you look at the ice time. Like, O'Reilly played 19 and a half minutes. Tavares played 15.55. Like, it's just – there's just different options for, for Keefe in a situation like that than before. So because they had seven defensemen, it's kind of interesting to look at, at and, and it was a tight game and it was, you know, Calgary was a desperate team. They're, they're really in one right now and they're struggling. Um, it's interesting to look at the minutes. Riley plays 18. Brody, Brody plays almost 24 minutes. Gustafson played 9.52. Hall played 17 minutes, so basically third pair of minutes. McCabe got, had just over 20 minutes. Uh, Shen played just over 10 minutes. Is that everybody? Did I miss somebody? I think that's everybody. You know, it's it's an interesting distribution where, you know, lean heavily on Brody, 
cut Riley back a little bit, uh, lean heavily on McCabe, cut, um, you know, Giordano, 1646. Um, That's one of the ones I'm watching, James, pretty closely. I think that that makes sense, right? Like, I think that that kind of minute distribution is probably, you know, the third pair doesn't play as much as it has been this season. And then you you lean a bit more on, on Brody and McCabe and it's interesting. That's that's probably a bit low. Like Riley's not going to play that little. Um, no, but well, it depends how many power plays there are and things like that, right? Like, I wonder. Do you think they will they use Riley less on the PK now that they've got the makeup? They of don't. The, well, they they really don't use him. They they try not to use him generally. Like when they're when they're healthy, he's like the fifth option. And now, depending on which guys, so these are the guys that for sure are ahead of him: McCabe, Brody, Hall. 100%. Giordano, 100%. And then, like, if Shen is in the lineup like he was in Calgary, he'll take those penalty-killing minutes. Mm-hmm. So you look in the Calgary game, Shen didn't – or Riley didn't play anything on the penalty kill. So, like, those are, like, the little reverberations that happen from some of the, these changes. Did you notice anything uh, with Gustafson in the game? I mean, he didn't play a lot, but did you, like – did anything stand out with him? He's fine. Like, he can move the puck. Like, you can see that. Obviously, he has the air on the first goal against mm-hmm. uh, at the blue line. But he's fine. He's fine. Do you remember like, him playing for Montreal when they had their playoff run a couple years ago? Like, he was one of A little guys. bit. Because I remember, there wasn't there some sort of controversy with him? He was playing ahead of someone. I can't remember who it was. I think it was one of their younger defensemen. He was mm-hmm. in the lineup, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. I remember earlier this year, remember he had the hat trick against the Leafs? <laughs> well, he put up all, he's had like two years where he's put up tons of points and then a whole bunch of other years where like, so that Montreal team was not, not good stacked and he was only playing like 10 minutes a game on, on that team. So, and then, but then, you know, he goes to Washington and has a big year and he had 60 points. Yeah. Yeah. Which is lo- loony. You mean in in Chicago? In uh, Chicago, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's yeah. what I that's all I got for you. So, should we Do you uh, want to try to hit forty eight questions? Uh, there's probably more than that by now. There was forty eight when we started recording. There's uh, there's going to be more now, but we we will hit as many as we can. Okay. Let's see what people want to know about today. Alex says, why do you think they didn't trade the first round pick and Gustafson for another forward? Alex wanted them to get another top six forward. Well, Gustafson doesn't make anything, so they don't really have cap space for another top six forward unless they start getting into retention again, and then it starts getting expensive with picks and things. But I think some people wanted them to pick up like someone like Bertuzzi, like the way that Boston did. I think, though, they they were right at the border of doing too much i like at a certain point you bring in too many new guys and there's well, not that much a, time left in six, the year. Is, six a is a lot right it's a lot i mean i would be that's one of the things i would be worried about with the leafs right now is like do is it too many new guys to integrate because i mean how many times have you seen a team add six players at the trade deadline like it's very very rare that a team has this much change yes and so i i think if you're adding more like you're, you're I guess if you're trading Gustafson as part of this, then you're only you still are only adding six. But you know, and fair. it's Eric Duhatchik has a story about why the deadline was so slow on Friday, and it's because all the teams got ahead of it and things like that. And he talked to uh, an anonymous executive with another team, and the executive said, like, you got to be careful not to do too much and not to disrupt your team too much. And like sometimes teams like do are really tr- change around a lot of things and it doesn't work because you know, 20 games isn't enough to get ready for the playoffs with what you change. 
Well, so, you know what's a, an underrated point about that, James, is a lot of the times it, it's hard for players. I think it's probably under overlooked or whatever the word is. It's hard to change teams in the middle of the year. Like I'm not not everyone comes in and just feels comfortable right away. Like it can take months. It can take and, and so like if you're bringing in seven guys, let's say maybe half of them or like four of the seven don't feel comfortable and suddenly like you've kind of like screwed up your team a little bit. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you got to be really careful. And I think the guys that they brought in, uh, like Shen has obviously been around, done this like many times. He'll be fine. Uh, McCabe, not so much, but like he's a veteran. He's older. He's 29. Ryan O'Reilly, same thing, been around. The Like Achari and Lafferty obviously are young. Well, Charlie's like 31. But anyway, I guess the point is like the guys that they brought in, I don't see that really being a problem. Like they're not super young guys. They've been around in the league. It's just about finding like comfort though. It's not even about the new guys. It's in some ways it's about the guys who have been there. Right. And like all of a sudden you're playing with a bunch of people you don't know. And, you know, I, yes. I think, I think was it Dubas or Keith was saying today that, you know, it's good that they're on the road and they can spend some time together and kind of get to know each other a little bit. And you, you want to, you're going to go into battle in the playoffs. You want to at least know who you're battling with. Yeah. Well, and you know what you end up learning is most of these guys know each other from one way or another anyway, like Luke Shen, for example, like knew Morgan Riley, like they spent time together because, Morgan Riley was friends with Tyson Berry, who was a Leaf, and like Shannon Berry are friends. You know what I mean? Like, there's just all these connections you you forget about World Championships, all those kind of things. Yeah, I think. Um, when, didn't O'Reilly say he played internationally with Shen? It must have been a World Championship kind of thing. And yeah. I think I think he knew McCabe too. Yeah, they played and, together in Buffalo. All right, Zachary wants to know, is this year's roster better than last year's heading into the first round, uh, and is it a better match for Tampa? How so specifically? I mean, I think some of like the, a little bit of the physicality and things like that, potentially. I mean, I think I think what the Leafs management saw when they're watching their team play against Tampa is just how, what they were getting from down in their lineup from, you know, the Corey Perrys and Pat Maroon and Nick Paul and... Uh, uh, Hegel and who am I forgetting? I mean, like, you know, they just, they liked what they Ross saw. Colton. Yeah. They like what they saw from, from those players and they want their team to look more like that. So, and the other thing too, is they didn't have Ryan O'Reilly last year. I mean, no, it's a big change. Yeah. So like, who do you subtract from the forward lineup in terms of impact forwards last year? Well, I'm looking at their game one lineup. So obviously bunting was hurt. So this mm-hmm. was their top. Yeah, six Bunting had a really tough series too. I I don't that doesn't get talked about enough. But he was he was quite injured when when he was playing. Yes. So their top six was Kerfoot, Matthews, Marner, Yikes. KF Tavares, Kasha, Yikes, and then Neander, Camp, Engvall. Yeah, those are all yikes to be honest. <laughs> so you, right? you like O'Reilly's a huge difference over that. Like they didn't have another player like that. Like it was the core four, and then not enough support around them. All of a sudden, you had a player who's as good as Ryan O'Reilly, especially as good as Ryan O'Reilly in the playoffs and at playing center. That's a big time game changer over last year. You know what's interesting, James? So I've, I've spoken to him a little bit. There's like a presence about him, a confidence about him. Like sometimes you you can kind of read a, a person just by talking to them. Sometimes it doesn't mean anything at all. But you can see why he would just come in and be comfortable. Like there's just I remember just when they got Jason Spezza, Jonas, and like I didn't I hadn't interacted thing. with Spezza that much. And I remember either. I remember yeah. in training camp just as like this this guy is an impressive person, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's very it's very similar actually. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and then you can see that the, 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 the team sees it too, right? Like you can see that the Leafs players are feeling it, right? Like it just feels like there's just the amount of respect they have for him is, is incredibly high. Uh, Steve B asks a similar question. Is the group of defensemen after the trade deadline better than what they had before? A lot, a lot of fans think that they subtracted skill and, and, you, you know, are, are, are kind of going down the grit train, you know, like the, 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 they're subtracting Sandine for Shen. And then when you look at like the RAPM charts and things like that, Shen looks like a mediocre or a bad defenseman and Sandine looks like a good one. So how is this an upgrade? Again, context, right? Context, well, context, context. They're going to want Shen to play, you know, defensive zone draws, penalty kills. You know, he's, he's only going to play, you know, 10 or 12 minutes in, in different Shen was playing set, like 17 minutes a game in Vancouver, like on in their yeah. top four. He's not doing that here. Like no, if he's, he's playing gonna, in their top four, no. he's playing 12 minutes max. Yeah. yeah. It's totally different. And like Sandine, like the, he excelled in the role that he was given. Like he deserves credit for that. But that was on a third pair, like playing – playing third and fourth lines, playing a lot in the offensive zone. Like it's, you have to contextualize it more than just to look at the the poster. Jan or Yan, you'll have to tell me how to pronounce it next time. J-A-N, Jan or Yan, uh, who's a very frequent commenter and uh, question asker. Um, he has three things. So I'm going to, and they're long. So I'm going to try and condense these. Uh, he makes a good point. He says, you know, the Leafs wouldn't have been able to fit players like O'Reilly and McCabe under their cap in the offseason, like let's say if they were going to like sign them or whatever. Is this a new strategy for them to wait till the trade deadline when the cap hits are lower to fix areas of need? Absolutely. You know, like the the Leafs maxed out their cap space. They more than maxed it out in the offseason when they signed Yarncroc. They were over the cap until Muzzin got hurt. They were significantly over. They didn't have room to add anything else. And then, you know, over time, they it ended up being they ended up needing, spending the muzzin, some of the muzzin money on on some of the additions that they made. But in a year where you're not in LTIR, you accrue cap space and it's you're only you only have to add uh, the the percentage of the contract that's left in the season. So, yeah, I mean, it's and that's why you saw so many teams around the league, so many of the contenders loaded up because they just they have more flexibility towards the end of the year. Yeah. Um, the other thing that Yan says is, uh, do GMs have to build two different teams, yes. one f- one for the regular season and one for the playoffs? That seems to be what the Leafs have done, where you know their regular season team got them to here, and then they added a bunch of quote unquote playoffy guys. It is a hundred percent, yes. And then he, the other thing he says is, have GMs in win now mode finally realized how pointless it is to hold on to draft picks? You know, and yes. He, he he brings up uh, draft schmaft. Cliff Fletcher always got criticized for draft schmaft and like that was kind of like a a saying that he that was used against him for years you know especially when you know there were the lean years where the Leafs didn't have a lot of good prospects and things like that but you know Cliff Fletcher is a, was a smart executive you know I think um, what he meant you know by what, that James, is James can I like, stop you on that point yeah I was really upset at myself that I did not include this in my Luke Shen story he was the GM who drafted Luke Shen isn't that crazy mm-hmm. yeah yeah, the, the, I think he was the interim GM at that point. And he traded up to get Shen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. What a world. That was like right around when I started covering the team. Cliff Fletcher was was the GM. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that I think the 
and, and I, I think it was Shana that wrote a story about the value of draft picks that I recommend people go back and read. That was a few days ago. And it was just like, you know, the, the draft picks, especially once you get past like the top 10 or the top 15 are worth a lot less than you think. Well, and they still hold this like cachet value for teams to be like, we got a first round pick, even though it's like 28th. <laughs> well, they did get a first round pick. They did, but it's like it probably is going to be not very much. Although like good drafting teams might luck out. Uh, Shawl would like to know, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Sorry if I get your names wrong. I'm doing my best. Shawl would like to know, uh, what would your game one line combo, we already talked about the defense, so I'm not going to get into that, but what would your game one line combos look like versus Tampa, assuming Toronto gets home ice? What would you do for game one, Jonas? Hmm. Well, I would probably... I like, I, I like O'Reilly in the top six. I just, I think he's too good to put on the third line center. I'm there as well. And I kind of think I might play Marner with those guys as well. Mm. But we'll see. We'll see how this goes down the stretch with Matthews and Marner back together. Uh, and well, then the rest of the lineup kind of It seems like Matthews needs out. Marner right now, doesn't it? Yeah, like he needs his playmaking, obviously. Like Neilander is, is can really pass the puck, but his he's become such a great shooter, right? Like that. The dynamic is just a little bit different with Marner. Like in Marner, his passing right now is just like, yeah, he's been on an unreal level the last like month. They they need Marner to be like that in in the playoffs, like in the key games. Like they need. We've seen him have some good playoff games, but they really need. Like he can just dominate games. They need him to dominate some of these these games against Tampa. Well, the one series he was just awesome was that Boston series, mm. and that he played exactly like you're talking about. He played like to use like one of the Didn't lines. Did he have like, him on the third line though? At, at that point, like wasn't he like yes? He was wasn't he with Bozak and JVR? Is that is that right? It was the first yes. Boston, the, yes. the 2018, right? But I think it's it was like a mentality. Like he's talked about like playing free, mm-hmm. and he looked he looked like that in that series. Like he didn't look burdened by everything. I remember Fluto, our Boston writer, wrote about Marner after the series and how the Bruins players were all like, wow, that guy is good, basically. And I mean, he was like a kid back then. Like, how old was Marner? Like 22, 21 years old in that series? And he was, you're right, he was really good. But he was playing, you know, down the lineup. So it's a it's a little bit of a, but he's a different player now than he was then, too. I mean, look how good Marner is now. Yeah, he's a top 10-ish player in the league. Now, let me double check to see if that's right. So that was 18, actually. So he had nine points in seven games. And you're right. He was on the line with, was it with Bozak and Van Riemsdyk, I think? I'm just double-checking. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just scrolling through my Excel data. <laughs> I like Jonas. Jonas has this crazy Excel doc that has line combos for every game the Leafs have ever played since he, in the, like, 18 years he's covered them or whatever. It's it's really quite uh, a thing. So you can always well, say I'm Jonas. Glad I like, checked, oh, James. Yeah, am I wrong what the lineup was? Yeah, he was actually playing on their second line. Mm, okay. He was playing with wow, for the whole series or the start of the series or what? The whole series. So that was there was obviously a Kadri suspension there. Oh yeah, right. But he started that series uh playing with Kadri and Marlowe. And then Kadri and Marlowe became Placanich and Marlowe. So Oh my goodness. Anything's possible. Wasn't that the second Boston series though? Are you looking at the wrong year? I'm looking at eighteen. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Jimmy wants to know, how is this team going to keep all nine defensemen engaged down the stretch? Well, I don't know. I think I think Timmons is going to be engaged with 
spending a lot of time in the press box. So they're, <laughs> they're, they got to worry about keeping eight guys engaged, basically. Do you think they'll do some load management with like uh, Brody or Giordano? Like, do you think they might miss some back-to-back games or something like that? I don't know. Like, Giordano seems so against sitting, and Sheldon Keefe seems to have leaving it. Leaving it? That's not a word. Left it up to him. So I don't know what they do. That's that's the only, not the only, but like that's a downside of having all these guys around. It's like, how, how are you supposed to do this? Like, what are you going to sit Lilligren a bunch? I, I guess it's possible. Like, Justin Hall's played better the last couple of games. Are you going to sit him now? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it just kind of creates some some dynamics that aren't great, especially when you you need to try to build pairs and build continuity and build some familiarity with some of these new guys. So that's the only thing that kind of worries me a little bit. Let's uh, Jonas, we still got a bunch more questions. Let's take another quick break and uh, we'll get into a few more things and, and wrap it up after that. All right, here we go. Uh, <laughs> this is interesting. So this is uh, the question comes from, but my gut says is the name. his question is uh is this trade deadline an admission by dubis that he was wrong about small skilled players being a market inefficiency well i mean the leafs have been pursuing players like this for a while just not to the degree that they have here right like the nick felino i think he's actually on to something you think he's on to something in what sense I think that there has been – I've talked about this there's been a change. I've written about this. Yeah, I think he's evolved. I think he – Kyle Dubas kind of came in and, and went along those lines of like it doesn't matter how big you are, like if you can think the game and if you can make a play and if you can yeah, have skill. And I think what he's seen through experience and, and what's happened to his teams is like that – it, that doesn't really work in the playoffs. Like the playoffs are different. Like it's great if you have skill, but like I'm looking at back at some of their fourth lines, uh, like in his early times, so like 19, like you can't play Tyler Ennis on your fourth line in the playoff series and win. Like you, you know what I mean? Like you're Seth Griffith good. and Mark Arcabello. And how many of these guys can we name that? Uh, yeah. Uh, and like they P- don't, Patan. it doesn't, it doesn't work. Like they have, and now like they have, they've hit on guys who, who are smaller and can play and be in those situations. Like they had Trevor Moore, who was a guy that they mm. found and yeah. is now a really good player in LA and he's not that big, mm. but like he plays with a certain scrappiness and he's quick and like he's... Wasn't Trevor Moore the guy who didn't Babcock say he has a big rear end or something like that? That, that was like... Yeah, like, that, that, that was right. Like he's not a big guy, but he's got a big rear or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So... I, I just think it's been an evolution. Like they have realized that certain things that I wonder. I wonder, Jonas, like, work, don't work. Everyone makes it like an anti an analytics thing or a non analytics thing. I wonder if it's like not. I wonder if the data that they're using is has evolved and changed. And like part of what the I'm sure part of what the numbers say is that you yeah. you don't think so. I don't like, think we need to make everything like a debate about like eye test versus analytics. Like sometimes it's just like there are different elements that you need and like. You can look at we just what we were talking about before. Like you could look at the analytics of, of Rasmus Sandin and say, like, of course he has to play. But well, then you watch him in certain situations against really good teams and against teams in the postseason. And it's like it's different. Like he's not going to be able to survive in those types of games. You know what I mean? Like some stuff is just beyond 
I guess that's high test, but like, I don't know why everything has to be like an argument between the two well, things. Like, let me elaborate on what I meant. Like, have you, I don't know if you've seen any, like the stats community has been looking at, you know, like Corsi used to be very predictive of, of wins and performance. If you go back like seven or eight years ago when we started, well, probably even before that we started talking about it. But remember when there was like all the Corsi debates like 10 years ago about the Leafs and PDO and all that stuff? Like, it's hard to, mm-hmm. it's been like a, a decade since all of that. But the interesting thing is that Corsi, which is for people that don't know, is, is shot attempts, uh, basically shot attempt share. Corsi's become less predictive over time. You know, it basically the the league is changing really, and like the the stats that are are most relevant or most predictive, and that's why we talk about expected goals and we talk about scoring chance share, and because shot quality has become more and more important. And I think teams have have started to chase shot quality more. And I think some of the players that might not be. I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't investigated this that thoroughly, but you know, like like some of the, these like hard to play against playoff type players we're talking about are they're more like get to the net and and it's not pretty, but you're getting higher quality opportunities, kind of like Zach Hyman used to do. Well, like a, a, an example for me, James, that comes to mind is like Labushkin last year. If you looked at his analytics in Arizona. They're terrible. If you looked at some of the defensive numbers, like they were a little bit better, but it's like he's playing on a terrible team. Of course, isn't like that stuff is going to be awful. And you you stick him into a team like this with all that skill where he doesn't have to do as much. He doesn't have to play as many minutes. He's got so much help around him and maybe he can be fine. But I just wonder if like maybe the Leafs, like as they've, you know, Kyle Dubas said today, he's been, I mean, he's been part of the organization for what, like nine years. I'm sure part of the evolution has been the data that they use and the way that they look at the sport and the way that the, the NHL is changing. And like, I, it, we don't know, but I'm sure that like the things that they're valuing, I know like for other teams around the league, it's changing what they're looking at. And there's new data now that, I don't know. It's an interesting, like some people think like, oh, has he given up on analytics? I don't think so. I, uh, what I think probably what's changed is like some of the way that they're looking at the game using analytics. Well, you can't just like if you're just literally just looking at the numbers and just picking players based on the numbers, like you, you can't do that. That doesn't doesn't work. Well, it depends on what your numbers like, are, is, I guess, Jonas. Like if your numbers but you know are what, James, in, like, no, infallible, like, if your numbers are perfect, why, then you can do that. But there's no such thing. And I hate. I think I don't understand why this is like this in hockey where it's like if you use numbers, you can't look at the game. And if you look at the game, you can't use numbers. Like the point is just to enhance everything that you know and, and try to get more data, whether it's I with what you see with your eyes or whether it's numbers. It's all just like supposed to support each other. It's not supposed to be one or the other. I don't I don't understand it sometimes here. Uh, Michael wants to know, and we're, we got, we got what, what, five more minutes, Jonas. Uh, Michael yeah. wants to know, um, what are your major concerns, if any, following the trade deadline or are the Leafs all set? I mean, I think, I don't know. I think they're probably about as set as they could be. Perfect world. If there's no salary cap, you probably want another experienced goaltender and another top six forward, but you know, you can't get everything, you know? And I mean, the, my concern, you know what, you know what my number one concern is, Jonas. I don't know if you'll. It's not about the roster. What, can you guess what my number one concern is? The referees. I <laughs> know. <laughs> Although I'm sure some fans. My number one concern is is the Boston Bruins look like they're not going to be able to be beat. That yeah, would be my, like yeah, that doesn't that shouldn't. Eh. I've seen enough sports, James, to know that just because you're amazing in the regular season does not mean you're just going to be. Could be. be. Yeah. It, could, it might very well be true, but it, often the case is 
when you're amazing in the regular season, like you can be beat. It's, it's just, just their road is like so hard. Like it's just you got to beat you got to beat two like of the best franchises in this era of the sport. I know, but back. if you're if you're Boston, you're not enthused to play one of Tampa or Boston or Tampa or Toronto in the second round. It's yeah, but like Boston's going to get teams. a relatively easy matchup in the first round, at least, right? Like, they can yeah, get but that f- doesn't that doesn't make the second round any easier, does it? Well, if you can get through in five games or something, it makes it easier. Yeah, the Leafs are going to be like if you get through Tampa, like <laughs> you know, you might be missing a couple guys or anyway, like it's. And maybe I'm wrong. Listen, like, what would be your major concern? I mean, goaltending is the obvious one. Goaltending right? is like, the biggest one for, by yeah. far and away. Far, far, far and away. Actually, I just remember, but, Jonas, we didn't finish answering the previous question about what our lineup would be. We only did the first two lines. Yeah, but the bottom six, I said, like, the bottom six is pretty clear cut. Like, there's not a camp, really old, like Camp with Kerfoot and... Uh, Yarn Crook. Right. And then Achari, Lafferty, Aston Reese. Nice little greasy goal that Yarn Crook got against Calgary, eh? That was a crazy goal. A that was a crazy goals. That was a. I was talking to Aaron, one of our editors. And he's like, "That was a playoff like goal." Yeah, I asked Kyle Dubas about that. Those playoff type goals. He still kind of bristles at the idea of a playoff style goal, while also acknowledging playoff style goals. Uh, anything other than goaltending that worries you and about going into the playoffs? I mean, uh, some of the, we talked about kind of like trying to figure you know out what? The, what the deep pairs are and things like that. You know what would would. I don't know, scare me if I were them is like, and Kyle Dubas kind of talked about this today is like, it's a sport of like, there's lots of luck to it. And they could just, they could play an awesome series and they could still lose. They could play an awesome series and Vasilevsky is just unbelievable and they lose. It's a 50-50 series again, Jonas. Like it's the same as last year. Like look how close last year was. Yeah. By a goal, by a shot. You know, the goal was disallowed and like maybe that game's different if that Tavares goal counts and you know, where they called the penalty yeah. on Justin Hall. Or maybe, like, Kerfoot doesn't pizza the puck away in game six and, like, things are different. Uh Oh, but my gut is back again with another question. He says, was Dubas actively looking for another winger to play with O'Reilly on the third line or was he content with what he had? Could he have gotten a winger for the first round pick? I'm sure they were poking around and seeing what they could have done, but I don't... I th- I who honestly, is available, James? Like, who well, are, like Tyler Bertuzzi went to Boston, right? So, like, I think people are looking at, you know, something like that. Yeah. I mean, he made four and a half, and I guess 50%. They, they would have had to trade Kerfoot required. out. They would have had to push Kerfoot out in a deal like that. I mean, that's why I, like, I hate all-in as, like, a thing. Like, all-in is whatever you decide all-in is. Like, that, they could have moved another first-round pick. You know what I mean? Like, they could have, there's a million things you could do. You could trade Matthew Nyes. Well, we probably should mention Matthew Nyes. They left enough cap space. They at least have about $845,000, $850,000. And so that's what the contract for Matthew Nyes is going to be. And he can be available, you know, as soon as late March or I think April 10th is the end of the, the NCAA championship. So somewhere in that window, he's going to get a chance. Um, if you're the Leafs, would you play Nyes in all of the regular season games when he signed? I mean, when would he sign? How many games are going to be left? Well, I just said we don't know. Like, it's either going to be the end of March or it's going to be... It's, there's a window there where, you know, it could be between... When's their season end? Like, April 14th? 13th. So it's going so it's gonna to be between... Uh, I'm just doing it off the top of my head. It's between, like... It'll be between, like, two or three and eight games. Something like that. That's, like, the... That's how many there are. I guess... We'll see. We'll see where they're at. Like, if they're playing really well. 
Going to do one more here. Michael wants to know, uh, Ottawa seemed to steal Jacob Chikrin with the trade that they made. Could the Leafs have not done that deal? What do you think? Do you think they should have been in on Chikrin? I think they wanted a, a defenseman who was more in the style of McCabe, really, than, yeah, than, than Chikrin. That, that. That, that's what they were looking for. And I, th- I agree with that. I mean, they haven't really commented on him, but I believe they probably felt Chikrin was like similar to some of the elements they already have. Ottawa's it's pretty excited, boring. though. I don't know if you saw Jonas, like uh, Pierre Dorian's uh, presser today. He was, they're clearly very elated to have him. And uh, um, I guess he played really well in his, his Senators debut. I have seen some things with that franchise. I'm going to, we'll see. Let's see how this goes. You will withhold judgment. People are getting excited in Ottawa. They've been winning lots of games. Big win over That's the Rangers. Great. I thought the rebuild was over two years ago, though. Didn't you know, Pierre say it was? You know who's a really, really good, who I really like watching for Ottawa? Stutzla. Stutzla, Stutzla is yeah, like, that good. guy, he's going to be a, he's going to be a superstar. I think we should probably wrap, Jonas. Thanks to everyone for the questions. Uh, there are still a bunch that we didn't get to, but we appreciate you. Thanks on a, on a Friday night um, for filling our inbox. And thanks to everyone for listening. The, uh, we're working on getting some guests. I know we, we got to have O-Dog on to talk about that amazing uh, commercial. Did, did, you, did you see the thing with the, the band? And like, O-Dog's such a ham, man. Like, he, he probably could have been an actor in another life. Yeah. Pretty amazing. We'll, we'll get him on. We'll make it happen at some point, hopefully. So our requests right now are O-Dog and Brian Hayes. If there are other people you'd like to see us have on the show, let us know uh, on social media or in the comments on uh, on the Athletic app. All right, James, we'll talk next uh, week. There's not a lot of games next week. Just Jersey and uh, Edmonton for the Leafs, so. Well, it's time for a little bit of a break. There's been a lot going on. Woo! (laughs) Talk to you next week, James. 